every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Johan Reed. As Chief Experience Officer at Emburse, Johan is responsible for leading a cross-functional marketing and customer success organization with the goal of delivering a world-class customer experience from first awareness through subscription renewal. Over the course of the last 25 years, Johan has written, implemented, sold, and marketed a variety of customer database, CRM, and customer experience products. An evangelist for customer experience, he has delivered keynotes and press interviews in 18 different countries and written numerous articles on the topic. In this episode, Johan shares how he and his team are approaching spend management in a holistic way, the beauty of championing your clients, and how all marketing comes down to adding value. Johan also talks about strategies for shifting budget spend to incorporate additional high converting formats and channels, and the importance of focusing on strong content and adding value outside of demand gen interactions. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Johan Reed, Chief Experience Officer at Emburse, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today we are joined by a special guest. Johan, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Ian? I am excited to chat to you today. Excited that our friends at Qualified bring us every single one of these episodes because they're the very best. Our listeners go check out qualified.com if you want to have smarter, faster conversations with your buyers right on your website. And yeah, we're going to talk about Imburse. We're going to talk about your background. We're going to talk about being chief experience officer and how that relates to marketing and everything in between. So let's get into it. What's your first job in marketing, Johan? My first job in marketing, I was a product marketer. And I wasn't, I was working at SAP and not only was I not marketing one of our products, but there was already a marketer on the product that they put me on. So I was coming out of a field role and they needed to put me in a, in a place where I could do something. And I started out as a product marketer and then it all, it all grew from there. Yeah. And flash forward to today. So you have a unique title because you're a chief experience officer that incorporates marketing. So tell us about that. Yeah, it's something I became really passionate about. I marketed CX solutions for for a long time and sold them before that and wrote them at the beginning of my career. And as a marketer, I realized that marketing could play a larger part in an organization beyond just creating creating pipeline and dealing with branding, but really representing the voice of the customer, which led me to join Imburse where I'm managing both marketing and customer success. So really thinking about this from through the lens of the promise that marketing and sales make 
needs to be kept by customer success, support, engineering, everybody else after the contract is signed. And so that's that's the the joy of this role is is having the opportunity to go well beyond the scope of a traditional marketing job and and bring together these two sides of the you know the make the promise and the keep the promise. I love it. We talk about that with our product all the time when you're making podcasts for or, or series for for people of like, what's your promise to the listener? Like, how do you fulfill that every time? And I love the idea of the, the promise to the buyer. And I feel like as a marketer, so often we feel like we might be a little bit ahead of where the product's at. We might be sort of talking about the future. And, and when that meets sales, sometimes it gets that really clunky experience where it's like, well, you've been marketing X, Y, Z, and you only have X, like what the heck is happening here? And then, you know, that customer life cycle journey, buyer journey, learner journey, all these things, it's so much more important to have customer success as part of it now. And, and uh, we don't talk to a lot of people like you, and it's pretty freaking cool. I love it. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's, you know, you talked about just the marketing and sales handoff gets even worse when the implementation team shows up and they're like, hey, what did you buy? (laughs) You know, I think that's where every step in this customer journey, there's a breakdown. And, and, you know, when you look at an organization, what I think is fascinating is every part of the organization can work really well in their silos and the customer still has an awful experience because the website's awesome, the marketing is slick, it looks really great, right? Answers all their questions. They get a salesperson who has no idea what they've seen on the web and starts at the beginning. And then they go through and they educate that salesperson and the pre-sales person about what they need. And then the project team shows up and asks them what they need. And, and you know, then they get the implementation done and the, the project team rolls off and the customer success manager comes in and goes, so what are you guys hoping to achieve with this? Why did you implement? Right. And, and it just keeps going and they call the support desk and the support desk doesn't have context either. And I think that's really the opportunity is to, to look even in a high, high functioning organization at those, those junction points and say, how can we do better? How can we make sure that information is flowing, that we're capturing all of this. And, you know, honestly, if there was ever a case for CRM, it, you know, it is this, it is, it is making sure we have that full picture of the customer. Yeah. So cool. So, so cool. And also the importance of customer marketing and, and life cycle and all that stuff is like truly a marketing thing now, like for a lot of companies where, you know, maybe back in the day, it was the salesperson leading that and marketing is so involved and in post-sale communications and upsells and all that stuff, like who better to own it than marketing? Well, and and it's been really interesting at Imburse as as I've started to bring the teams together. I've been here for just a, a couple of months, but I'm already seeing how you know marketers are benefiting from new relationships that they're forming with the CSMs. They're getting that instant feedback. Really good example: we're launching an awards program, a customer awards program, and we informed some of the winners and a CSM was having a call with one of her customers and she was on the phone when the customer announced to her team that they had won this award. And it created this beautiful cycle of 
of, of sort of brand affinity in real time. You know, they were, they were so happy that their CSM had advocated for them and it strengthened that CSM relationship, which we don't think about as marketers necessarily, the human implication of the work that we do. And so for me, that was just this really great early example of what happens when we start bringing these teams together, building those relationships and broadening the thinking beyond just filling the pipeline, but to the implications on the customers and the relationships that we have with them over the long term. Yeah. One more thing I just would add is we've been obsessed, I'd say for the past 20 years about getting to contract signature. So much of our effort and energy in marketing is getting, you know, filling the pipeline with leads and then ABM and all that sort of stuff. And really what we're should be marketing is outcomes, right? And with customer success, you get, it's either a great outcome or a good outcome and you want to tell those stories and get that out in front of more people or it's a bad outcome and you want to fix it. So it's a logical sort of extension there. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What? I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest. Are we not? Where we go and feel honest and trusted and you can share those deepest, darkest marketing secrets. What? Does Imburse do? So Imburse offers a platform for spend optimization, which means that we help companies both with travel expenses as well as other indirect spend, helping them to both capture that, manage it, put controls around it, as well as as with our card program, actually make those purchases so that they're getting rebates on the, the things they're spending on. Like for marketers, if they're spending money on Google ad campaigns, for example, they could be getting 1% rebate on that by running it through a card program versus handling it with purchase orders and in invoices. So we look at how companies spend their money and we help them to, to spend it more effectively so they're getting more bang for their buck. And what types of, of companies are your customers and what does that sort of buyer persona look like? Yeah, we've got, you know, we have customers from small business all the way up through large enterprise. We're very strong in legal higher education manufacturing. In fact, we have almost all the top 10 AM law firms. We've got a number of higher education institutions and we're just recognized as an Aleutian partner of the year. And then, you know, manufacturing companies, General Mills, Microsoft is a customer, Garmin, you know, we have a, we have a broad range of customers. And then that buying committee, obviously, for the bigger companies, very different from a smaller company. But what does that committee look like? Absolutely. The buying committee at a larger company, you know, starts with the CFO on down. We typically look at the AP team as well as procurement. We'll have a travel component in large companies. As you go down the stack in terms of company size, you wind up with finance teams running the whole show. And when you get to the the small business, oftentimes it's the founder, the CEO, or or if they have a head of finance or head of accounting. But generally speaking, when we're talking to our customers, we're talking to their finance center because that's ultimately the CFO, the head of finance. They're the ones who care about spend and where the money goes. And then how did you, you know, coming into the role, obviously owning marketing and customer success, but from the marketing standpoint, how did you think about your marketing strategy coming in? Well, it's been interesting, right? I'm walking into, as as we all do, into, into a marketing strategy that's already in place. For me, it's about helping this company go from a focus on T&E, 
which is sort of the history of the business and helping to start start us on this journey to real spend optimization. We have a number of companies that we've acquired over time and we've we've built this platform, but I think that's where people really know us as a TNE type of a solution as opposed to looking at marketing spend, software spend, looking more holistically across the business. And so a big part of my strategy now is how do we start to pivot our messaging? How do we start to to really solution sell into these these new areas within the business and change the narrative around who we are so that people don't don't just sort of react the way they might to some of our competitors who are very much focused on travel and expense management. It's crazy how in-depth spend management is. I mean, it's like an en- truly an endlessly complex problem. And obviously, it all layers up to the CFO, but it affects you know every single part of the company. I heard someone say this one time. It's like there's, there's one person that, that no matter what touches every single part of the business, and that's the, that's the CFO because they know where the money is coming in and going out. And when you think about just how complex that is and selling into those type of environments, you're right. It's like you can get you know, pigeonholed pretty quickly into, hey, this is just one piece of the, of the puzzle and, and elevating that is, is always tricky for marketers. Especially when you look at larger finance departments, right? Because you'll have the, the teams will be so segmented. And I think that's where our sweet spot is, is in that mid market, upper mid market, smaller enterprise, because there's a little bit more crossover. Sure. And these organizations tend to think about their spend more holistically. As you go into the very large enterprise, it, you have teams that are so specific and so segmented that, that it's harder for them to sort of envision that holistic solution to tackle that level of complexity. Uh, but, you know, I think we're trying to help companies look at the way that individuals spend, the way that departments spend, and then the way that purchasing or procurement spends. And oftentimes what we found is that it's that middle, that departmental spend or team spend, or we use lots of different words to describe it, but it's that spend that people are unsure if it should just go on the card and get expensed or if they need to go through this lengthy pr- purchasing process, RFPs, all the rest of it. And and that sort of gets lost. And it, I think that's the most interesting area as a marketing leader, because yeah. that's the majority of my spend, right? Like I have some yeah. that I go through procurement on for, you know, like buying my, my marketing automation platform. But when somebody just needs a couple Canva seats, right? Do, do you, do you go to, procurement because you're buying software, but that seems silly to buy just a couple of seats for a design tool. So do you just expense it? Is that a, you know, it's not in the travel policy, which dictates what the expense guidelines are. So what do you do? Right. So I think there's, there's some real opportunity for us when you think about the payment card program and, and how poorly penetrated that is into IT departments and and marketing departments, especially in the midsize enterprise. You know, that that's where our opportunity is, I think. But again, there's a lot of education there because as as a marketing leader, that's not something I necessarily think about. I'm worried about what's my Romy, what where am I where am I spending, what's what is what's my strategy, how am I reaching my audience, how am I segmenting and targeting, what's my pipeline look like? I'm not thinking about how am I paying for the services, how am I equipping my marketers with the autonomy and yet the guardrails to make sure that they can quickly react and buy the ads or spend the money on the event 
without a lot of barriers that sort of falls by the wayside. And I think that's the, again, as a, as a line of business leader, that's what's interesting to me about what Inverse does. Yeah. And as a marketing leader too, I mean, we had two conversations this week. We have a software that we're looking to buy that's that we've been going back and forth with one of our functional leads has been doing it and it's a, you know, 14 K purchase. And it's like, you know, should go back and forth on that versus like the Google ad spend that we're planning and all that. Like, again, like, nope, I don't have a playbook for this as a CEO, you know, it's the, it, yeah, as we're trying to figure out all of our, our, our marketing stuff there. I'm curious, like, as you think about like cutting through that noise, what do you think is sort of, and I know it's you know, still very early days, but how do you think about that from a strategic standpoint, from a marketing strategy standpoint? Well, from a marketing strategy, we have to focus on the core audiences that we, we have success with while we educate some of the newer buyers and also consider how to turn departmental or line of business leaders into allies. Because when we think about the CIO and the amount that they spend on software and all of the shadow purchasing, right? Talk to any CIO and they'll they'll talk your ear off about shadow IT. I was going to uh, say that earlier. I was going to say, <laughs> Johan, don't you shadow IT those Canva licenses. I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah. So, you know, how do you, it's not just finance that wants to implement controls, right? The, the, the finance team absolutely is at the forefront of that, but other leaders in the business want to both empower people in the business and make sure that those controls are in place so that there's visibility. And it's interesting talking with some of our customers, you know, some on the one end of the spectrum, they have incredibly stringent rules about spend. And basically they force everybody through an expense process. And if it's not within the rules, that's too bad. You don't get reimbursed. Whereas we have customers on the other end of that, that spectrum where a lot of the purchases go through and they're trying to get a handle on where are we spending? We know we're spending the money. So now let before we start implementing strict controls, let's figure out where are we spending? Why are we spending there? And then we can make decisions about changing policy and then implementing controls. And I think that's where, you know, how do you eliminate shadow IT? How do you eliminate shadow marketing, agency spend that's unapproved, all of that kind of stuff. The first step is get a handle on it by centralizing the way you treat all of your spending. And then obviously look for ways to make that spend work harder for you. And and whether that is getting the insights and the analytics around the impact of the spend and and being able to identify contracts that you could renegotiate to get better rates if you consolidate your licenses, for example, or as I said in the earlier example, taking spend that you're putting through an invoice process and move it onto a card where you're getting a rebate. And so, you know, every, every marketer is constantly trying to do more with less, less budget. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, so there's, there's, there, as I've joined, joined in Burst, I've discovered there's lots of ways we can stretch our budgets, but it's not necessarily something that we think of naturally. Especially if you don't know where the money is, right? Like well, if you don't, if you don't know what you're spending money on, you can't do more with less. If you, absolutely. If you well, and, and even worse is, is when we do know where we're spending the money, part of the problem is there's a lag time between when the money's spent and then when we're getting the reconciled updates on our budget from finance, there's typically, you know, 30, 60, 90 day lag built into this process. And so when you sit down with finance to do your budget review, you're sort of left with this 
idea that, okay, well, that's what we did last quarter. I'm halfway through this quarter. Now I have to figure out what I'm going to do next quarter to make up my, my, my overspend as opposed to being able to react this quarter or this month or this week. And, and I think that's where the larger, the larger the organization, the longer that lag time becomes, right? Yeah. I think most, most marketers are probably dealing with a, a 30 to 60 day lag between understanding where the money's going and what the results look like and whether they're over or underspent against the budget. And I think that's, that's something that becomes increasingly important in times like this when, Everybody's looking to claw back budget. Everybody's trying to understand how do I maximize my Romy while people are are putting projects on hold and delaying purchases and all of that. Any other thoughts on on marketing strategy or like org chart coming into a new organization and how you looked at the, the especially since you were sort of reconfiguring org chart anyways, but coming into your marketing org chart or just overall marketing strategy? Well, I'm still I'm still working on my marketing org chart right now. You know, my strategy generally for a company that's the size of Inverse is to focus on functionally integrated teams. I'm I'm often inspired when I look around at other other industries, other businesses. So for me, the kitchen with the brigade system is one of the most efficient ways to to produce to produce and get stuff out. So, you know, for me, it's about making sure that we have rather than integrated marketing teams in different regions, really looking at a global organization that's aligned functionally. So we've got a demand center, we have a single brand group, we have field marketers, but not not these ideas of integrated integrated marketing organizations in regions. So that's that's for me the sort of a critical strategy. And then, depending on business goals now that we're looking, you know, as a as our business looks to evolve beyond just being known as a travel and expense leader, but but rather this whole notion of spend optimization, we have to we have to think beyond product marketing and get into more persona focus and solution messaging. So again, I think when companies are earlier in their life cycle, everybody's focused on a, a product or talking about the product versus really thinking deeply about the problem that the uh, the audience has and then all across all of the products. So that's another area where from an org chart perspective within product marketing, which I have a soft spot for since that's where I started, the you know within product marketing, not aligning people by product, but rather by by audience so that you get yeah. one cohesive message to the CFO or to the accounts payable team. Is so is that I mean it's something that we're hearing more and more every day. How many of your peers do you think are aligning by audience rather than, because this is something that like is coming up over and over and over again, but I, yeah. it's something that like you talk to other folks and they, it's like, you're speaking a foreign language. Well, I think, I think a lot of it comes down to where are you in the life cycle with the business that you're marketing for, you know, earlier stage companies single product companies, everything you say, it's all about one product. So it's easy to just focus on that product. And maybe you align your product marketers around functional modules or, or maybe segments within that product. But in a, in an environment, you know, I grew up within SAP where there's a high degree of complexity and you're selling deeply into variety of different buying centers you you don't have the luxury of being able to focus on 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 a product for very long if you want to be successful and so i think as you go up market into companies that have more of a solution stack and an, and a solution orientation to their product set 
it becomes obvious that you have to do that. And so, you know, maybe, maybe the, the foreign language pieces for people who really are focused on, you know, marketing a single product that solves a single problem. Mm, That's a great point. Great distinction. But I would, I would, I would just add there real quick though, that with the rise of these crazy buying committees and the different personas and like, you know, you might have, Hey, we sell to marketing, but it's like, Actually, you sell to demand and brand has a pretty big vote and, you know, product has a, has a little vote there. So it's like, it's kind of three, you know what I mean? Like people just don't really identify themselves in like huge groups like that. You know what I mean? Like if you were, you know, like, yeah, I'm a marketer first. Sure. Maybe. But, but it's like, you know, when you're sitting in the seat and if you're a field marketer, like I'm a field marketer, like that's what I do. Like, I don't I don't know what's going on over at, you know, product land or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think you bring up a really good point and, you know, you can slice it down pretty, pretty narrowly, especially to your example, right? You know, if you're selling into marketing and your buying committee is composed of people who have different objectives within marketing, whether it's to create awareness and elevate the brand or to put numbers up on the board in demand gen, you you can you can slice it infinitely which i think gives rise to personalization tech and all yeah. of that but but i think the solve in my mind and maybe for me this has always been my approach is, is when you flip it around and you look at what you're trying to deliver through that customer lens right and you look at and you stop talking and thinking about the features of the product that you're delivering and you start thinking about how do people use it, then it becomes much more obvious that, you know, somebody who's using your product to create engagement for the purpose of driving awareness or, you know, a post-sale adoption campaign, right? That their needs will be different and the way they'll think about that solution is different than if you are selling to somebody who's just purely focused on getting the initial contract. And so I think my solve for almost everything in my whole career has always been, instead of trying to think about how I explain something from the inside out, starting with our product or our pro- our processes or our services, and I and thinking about it outside in, how does the customer wanna use it? What is the solution they have in mind? And this is something that I learned in pre-sales, right? Is if you can figure out the solution that the customer has in mind and then articulate what you have through their words and and position it as the solution that they were thinking of, that's where you have success, which then drives you naturally to say, well, I don't want to talk about the product. I want to figure out what do CFOs care about or what do demand gen leaders care about or what does a marketing ops person care about or what does an accounts payable clerk care about? And then let me talk to them in their language and articulate what we do to help them in their job. Because ultimately, you know, I think I think our our job as marketers fundamentally is to create a connection with another human. And if we think about that person as having a career, wanting to get ahead, wanting to be recognized for their work, yep. right? And and then positioning our work, the content that we create, the approach that we take in talking to this person with that in mind, instead of our own selfish objective in mind, then it changes the tenor of what we create. It changes how we think about getting that in front of them. And ultimately, I, I believe it changes the way that those the, that our audience connects with the with our brand. 
Yeah, I, I've been thinking about it as like this, like if you were to layer on using a projector screen, one of the old school projectors, where it's like there's like one layer, which is like the personas. There's another layer on top of that, which is like outcomes. And then there's another layer that's like the jobs to be done thing. And it's sort of like those three things working, you know, together where there might be things that overlap, there might not be things that overlap. But if you can sort of paint all three of those pictures at the same time, then the person's gonna be like, oh, yeah, that's me. And I didn't think that I could be in that place a year from now. And yeah, that that one thing is something that I really need done. And like, oh, by the way, you know, that's in burst, you know, but that's hard to do, hard to thread. It is. But going back to the conversation about products or personas, if you do the research on the people and, you know, we, we throw this term personas around, but when we think about them as a, an aggregate view of in general, like what is the career path for somebody who works in accounts payable yeah. and, and sits there and, and takes in invoices all day long, yeah. right? What are the things that will get them noticed? What are their headaches beyond the sort of standard persona research that you do, but you really get into the emotional side of who they are and what matters to them. And, and, and if you can connect to that, then I think it becomes much easier to, to strike that balance and to paint those layers because emotion and leaving somebody with a feeling tends to be, you don't have to be as precise, right? You don't necessarily have to have all the facts and all the data in order to create the emotion. And, and I think that's the opportunity where, you, the the hole that you have to thread thread through is is larger if you're if you're more worried about the emotional connection and creating this this idea of a vision alignment as opposed to getting stuck on the details of how they do their process and how that might need to change or how much better it could be if they used your process. Yeah, it's that it's the ad where it's like you know too busy versus you know, the end of the quarter has never been so simple. And you're like, oh man, end of quarter, that always sucks. I want something, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah, everybody's too busy, but sure, you know, but it doesn't yeah. sort of jump out in your mind. All right, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Or you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. Now, you've been through this rodeo before because you've been a CMO before, and I know you don't have every single channel or tactic here at Imburse, you know, ready at your disposal. But generally speaking, what are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? Uncuttable budget items. Anything that builds organic content, making sure that we have the right, the right data on our audiences. Know, so knowing the audience, building the content and driving that organic traffic, that is that is the stuff that's uncuttable to me. I think a lot of people have gotten used to looking past Google ads. I think a lot of people have, have sort of become really good at ad filtering on their own in, in social media. So it's really, we have to invest in knowing our audience. We have to invest in figuring out how we tell those stories, build the right messages, and then get the get content that adds value created to people. Those are absolute must fund. And I think that's, maybe that doesn't answer your question because you asked about channels, but for me, that's the stuff that's at the top of the ring fenced budget. I love it. You see a lot of content that gets cut when budgets get tight. And 
you know, I think it's just such an obvious like understanding of value there. So I'm curious, like how does how does budget not get cut for you when you think about content? How do you sort of like, you know, thinking about it being uncuttable? Well, look, <laughs> I'll go back to my my earlier answer about thinking outside in. You can look, there's lots of, lots of people have done these statistics around what percentage of the buying process happens before a salesperson gets involved, right? And they range anywhere from the seventies to the nineties in terms of percent. And how do people learn about your products? How do they discover your brand? How do they satisfy their curiosity without a salesperson talking to them? It's through content. It's through your website. It's through the blog posts. It's through the, the stuff that you've put on social. It's through your research. It's through, through the analyst content, the influencer content. All of the content is how they learn about what your products do, about what you're like to work with as a company, right? It, so to me, the question is, do we want to try to have more sales conversations and, and compete to win in that, in that, really small fraction of the customer's time where they're willing to talk to a salesperson and focus on that? Or do we focus on the majority of their time when the salesperson's not in the room, when they're not ready to start having those conversations? And that feels to me like the lower hanging fruit and the, and the more valuable part, because in order to capture that demand at the moment when they're ready to have the conversation with the salesperson, they can't have already eliminated you because you don't have good content on your website. You don't have the product demos. You don't have the customer references. You don't have all of that stuff published. They can't get their questions answered. And then they're left with this decision of, well, what I saw looks kind of interesting, but I'm not really sure. I've got six other choices. Do I really want to spend the time talking to one of their sales reps? Or should I just eliminate them and look at these other six choices and try to winnow it down to three that I'm eventually going to have a conversation with, right? So to me, it, it's, it, it feels counterintuitive to say, I'm going to cut the budget for the stuff that, that gets me to the conversation. And I'm going to focus on just trying to find the people who are ready to have the conversation. I love it. Couldn't agree more to uh, everything you say. And I feel like content is such an extension of your brand. Like they you know, they say that sort of your customer, you would like this, your customer experience is your brand, right? And I feel like your content experience is, is also your brand, right? Like, are they going to things that are clearly just that look like you paid $10 to have somebody write it that says absolutely nothing? Or is it something with like thought and rigor and, and, and intellectual pursuit of something that is greater than just like creating crap? And like, you can tell. Like we all have the BS filters now of like, this is something really good or this is something self-serving. And I think your content experience like is so emblematic of your brand. Same thing as like your user conference. It's the same thing as like, you know, when you put on an event, it's like all those things are who you are, no matter how good or bad your sales rep is, that stuff is who you are because it's how you prioritize your money that you spend. And yeah, I mean, I'm biased, but I think content's a huge part of it. Yeah, well, look, I think... I have the fortunate perspective of not coming up through demand gen. I started in product marketing. I, I led a corporate marketing team, global events, advertising and brand. All of these non-demand areas taught me how valuable it is to create that connection 
and what the lift winds up being for demand gen. And I think that's where if you come up through demand gen, you're so numbers focused, you don't think about those elements. And and I think that's where, to your point, right, the, the way that you create the content, the 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 knowledge that you're sharing, the the way that you the way you treat customers at customer conferences or you know the way that you even write those those customer testimonials if they're about the individual instead of about what they did with your product that all of that makes your demand gen content and and your efforts to engage people so much more productive and so much more effective and so i you know i hate the idea that you know, when you're making these these budget decisions, most people are thinking, I have to ring fence my my demand gen budget and I'm going to strip everything else away. And that's, you know, that's a lifeboat type of a strategy if things are really, really bad. But generally, I'm a I'm a big believer in making sure that you're still focusing on strong content, adding value with every every one of these non-demand gen, non-sales interactions, because that will just make your conversion rates higher when people finally get to that moment of deciding whether they want to convert, deciding whether they want to have the conversation, and your win rates will go up as a result. And and I don't think you can underestimate the value of that. Yeah. And I would add that with, with the rise of the smart website and tools like Qualified, who is our amazing sponsor, uh, that goodness, how great is it when someone has engaged with seven pieces of content on your website, right? Like that doesn't ever go back to the ROI budget of like, what's the ROI of content? It's like, well, this prospect had engaged with these seven things, like these, these couple things that are probably like really top of the funnel stuff, and then five testimonials. And you're like, that's what closed the deal or not closed it. The salesperson closed the deal, but like that's what got them from whatever 30 to 90% is those five videos. And how much more exciting is it? If you go to the, you know, if they go to the website and there's, you know, qualified pops up and it's a real salesperson, you can talk to them. This is a real ad for them go qualified, but, uh, and you can talk to them and the person and that sales rep is like, Hey, by the way, I saw you watch five testimonials. Like, you want to talk through any of that stuff? Like that is so much more advantageous and versus, Hey, I saw you, saw you like got targeted with a bunch of ads. Like, but that's not like an engaging conversation. It doesn't spark dialogue and, and a thoughtful discussion. And that's what helps sales is having those thoughtful discussions. Well, I think you also bring up a really important point, which is the sales enablement piece of this, right? Because if you, if you're capturing all of that, if you are setting all of that up, but then sales on the back end doesn't understand how to, how to look at this information, how to use it when they engage and, and they don't have that sort of that talk track and the intellectual curiosity to ask the question, Hey, I saw you looked at five different case studies did any of them stand out to you? Would you, do you want to talk about any of that? Right. Versus what, again, I feel like, I feel like what we've fallen into in the last five years plus has been this focus on enabling the sales force. We have to enable them with competitive landmines. We have to enable them with sales process. We have to enable them with forecasting tools. We have to, you know, there's all this relentless focus on enablement. And what we've lost is, equipping them with a baseline understanding of the business processes, going back to the persona conversation, right? 
what are the business processes that our buyers go through? What is what are their jobs like? How yeah. do what is their working environment? What does their day look like? Right. And then how do we how do we give the salesperson the education on the topics that 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 are relevant to those those buyers that we can address so they can start asking questions and start sort of engaging in an open-ended way and that's that's kind of the problem right you can do all this automation on the website and you can create beautiful content but if you're not thinking about how do i enable my sellers to understand that content journey and how to leverage the insights that 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 are attached to that content to create dialogue, then then it will fall short. Any other thoughts on budget items or things that you might be cutting from your budget or things that you're not going to be investing in or other stuff that you want to invest in? You know, I think I'm I'm looking hard at at ad spend. I think the effectiveness of ads is diminishing. People are running ad blockers. People are just filtering ads. You know, savvy, savvy web shoppers are skipping over the, the, the paid stuff to get to the organic results because people are learning how Google works and how, how Bing works and, and they're using the search engines. I think I'm also prioritizing video content and and audio content, I think there's a tendency to favor spending on on written content, which which is fine. But I think there's opportunities to to create stuff that's way more engaging. And also, I think all of us use non written content when we're going to multitask, right? Cooking dinner with yep. a podcast, you know, driving the car, listening to the, to a recording, even if there's video sort of ignoring the video and just listening. I think that those are some of the things that that I think, as, as I think about how do I want to start shifting my budget, I want to make sure that we're addressing those channels and those formats, because that's where I think the impact is. Gosh, I, I obviously couldn't agree more as a podcast, <laughs> as a service company. But I do think that it's this idea of engaging the non-consumer with something. And this is like, I think it's so obvious and like elemental is like short form video, long form video, audio, blog, and like, and social, like carousels and things like that, other short form yeah. social content. It's like they all work in concert because people get to opt in to the types of content that they like. If they like podcasts, if they like YouTube videos, if they like whatever it is, we have our preferences. Some people like news shows, some people like fiction shows, some people like all these things. And like so far, if you look at B2B content, by and large, it's the same stuff over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And to your point, when you talk about sort of going from snackable all the way to long form across different formats, if you do it right, it's actually not that much more expensive to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of my strategies is, and I'm working with my team on this right now, we're planning our user conferences for later in this year. And, you know, if you pay for a writer to come and sit in the audience and take notes and, and turn the presentation that was given into a blog and then you record the presenter being interviewed that turns into a great podcast or you do it on video right it it it's totally scalable because the long the long pole in that tent is what that presenter had to do to prepare their presentation yep. to get their thoughts together that's actually when we look at 
the real cost to the business, that's the most expensive part of this because you're taking somebody who might be an executive, might be a, a senior product leader, right? And, and you're taking them out of whatever job they're doing to prepare this presentation, to, to fly to this event, stand up on the stage, deliver this information. So if you're not investing that small incremental cost of getting it written up, having your videographer who's running around the event anyway, shooting, shooting B-roll for your sizzle reel, go over and record a video with that person, even even if it's not a live interview, but you're just, you know, you're, you're feeding them prompts off camera and having them look, look off angle, right? That kind of stuff is so inexpensive, but now you can scale it and you're not disrupting that person's job again in three weeks to ask them to get on a podcast, right? You can, you can build all of these things to, to get that lift without spending a lot more money. And so I'm a big fan of do less but make sure you're pulling it all the way through. I feel like sustainability and marketing is a, is a real thing. Like we need to get away from single use assets and really yep. focus on how do we create a, a, you know, a set of reusable assets that we can slice and dice and repackage in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. I would also add to that, that the thing that people is like so untapped, someone like you who's spent 20 years building up the knowledge base of all these different things that there's, if Johan wants to go like write a TED talk, like that's a lot of work and 20 years of expertise and all that sort of stuff. That's one thing. But there's also the way that you can do a series and an interview or things to get to push at other pieces of information that maybe you forgot about or maybe like all those things. So you're bringing the experts ideas into that and you're helping them tell a story in a better way than they could have done themselves. That is super valuable to both the audience, the person and to your company. And like so much more of that needs to be done. And so much less of like, have someone just write an article, like yeah. don't do that. The, the, yeah. just, it's Look, crazy. I, we as marketers, I feel again, when I'm, when I'm working with, with my teams on what do we want to deliver? What kind of content is interesting? Right. It's all about adding value. Going back to what I said earlier, it's about thinking about this person who's trying to do their job to the best of their abilities and they want to get promoted. They want to have a good career. And so if we can use the knowledge within our business, right? We have people who, who spend all day, every day thinking about how do we improve the expense reimbursement process? How do we improve the accounts payable process? How do we improve the purchasing process? Right. These people are experts. How do we unlock their knowledge and how do we give that knowledge away? Because ultimately we don't sell the knowledge. We sell the, the product. We sell the software. So how do we educate people? And my view is I would love for you to learn all the secrets, all the best practices from us. And then if you want to go build it yourself, good luck. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. but at that point, it becomes kind of a no brainer because if you say, well, gee, I've learned all this best practice and, you know, they've helped me assess my maturity. And now, now I understand where I want to go. And I, and I'm learning all these, these, these ways of thinking about this. At some point, they're going to go, I, I, why would I, why would I build this? Why don't I just adopt their product? Because obviously all that best practice is baked in. And so I think that's where, again, we as marketers, if we, if we, 
put aside this urge to talk about our products and, and all the great features that, that engineering is telling us are baked into this release, but rather think about how do I add value to this person who's going to read this piece or listen to it? And how do I help them do their job better? Then eventually it becomes self-evident that they should buy, buy what we're selling, right? All right, let's get to our final segment, quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Just like how quickly qualified helps companies generate pipeline faster, tap into your greatest asset, your website, to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly start sales conversations quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Johan, are you ready? I am ready. Number one, do you have a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? A hidden talent or skill that's not on my resume. I can solder. Oh, that's pretty good. Anything memorable that you soldered? I did in a bunch of internships when I was in high school and my first year of college where I put GPS on nuclear submarines. And so I, I soldered, I built a test unit to test the antenna assembly before it went into the submarine because getting crane time to pull, pull an antenna that you just put in because it's bad is really hard and really expensive. I think I've soldered a tiny little electrical circuit once in my life. So... <laughs> Do you have a favorite book or podcast or TV show that you'd recommend? I think I'll go I'll go with there's a great cookbook by Kenji Lopez Alt called Food Lab and I I recommend that. What advice would you give to a first-time CMO who's trying to figure out their marketing strategy? Think outside in like focus on knowing your audience incredibly well. And the better you know your audience, then the strategy will become pretty self-evident about how to reach that audience. Johan, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for joining. For our listeners, you can go to imburst.com. And especially if you're a marketing, you're spending a bunch of money anyways, go check it out and go give a, give a nudge to your CFO, your IT team, everybody. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? No, I think you did a beautiful job just now. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you, too. Thanks again to our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.